Well, where is our guest? Our guest is not with us. You, uh, what did you do to piss him off? Man, I don't know. I don't think I did anything. I don't think anything in particular was done. I think there were expectations there that are typically not there. It's like, you've been scheduled. Okay, that's it. Like, hey, if I get scheduled or if you get scheduled, like we put it on the list of things. We're not big time. Okay, we're not big time like this guy. So what you're saying is that we have a failure to communicate. Yes, absolutely. Um, yeah, I I feel like I am Cool Hand Luke. Or maybe I'm the, the what is it, the guy who runs the prison? Is that that that's Scatman or whatever? What the guy that was in the Cheech and Chong movie? Yeah, yeah. I think he was he was uh, Chong's father. Well, I don't know. Uh, the warden, I suppose. Uh, so yeah, which is you know the way he wants it. So he gets. Have, have it. you seen Have you seen Cheech and Chong's Up in Smoke? I have never seen Cheech and Chong movies. All right, just watch I, the first. I'm, few no, minutes. I'm not going to watch it because like I, I I'm not I don't dig that humor. I don't dig the drug humor. I'm not talking about the drug part. I'm talking about when uh, Chong is with his parents. He's living with his parents. And that guy, the warden, I guess that's the warden from Cool Hand Luke. He's trying to get Chong to go get a job. And he was like, when, boy? When? You know, and he's like exasperated. And, yeah. That guy you know, is, sets, he it, is very. It sets the tone for having a worthless child. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, Chichen Chong is, you know, I guess the poster boy for for that sentiment. Um, yeah, no, and people may be like, "Oh, you don't like Chichen Chong? What what's wrong with you?" Because I know those are like technically classics, or maybe they're just cult classics. Uh, but yeah, not uh, like I have Super Troopers, and I have come across so many people that have asked me, "Have I seen that movie?" And I say, "No, but I do own it," and but I just can't like will myself to watch that film because it just seems like it would be a waste of about an hour and a half of my time, which my time is not that important, but I think uh, our viewers time and our listeners time is a little bit more important. So let's go, go ahead and get on with it. We don't have our guest with us. So it's going to be Alan and I chatting it up about some things uh, going on today and reflecting on our history to address those things. But before we get to that, if you haven't yet, subscribe. Wherever you're watching or listening, whether it's on YouTube or you're listening on the podcast, Apple, Stitcher, Spotify, Google, uh, wherever. I know on Apple and Spotify, you can leave a review, a rating and review. That would be helpful. Do us a huge fave. We know you love us, so go ahead and do that. And go ahead and subscribe, and subscribe to us on Facebook, Twitter, and obviously YouTube. Yeah, do the Instagram. likes, the follows, do all yeah, that. Yeah, do all of it. Do all the work for us, for free. Um, and, ret- and retweet. Ooh, yeah, retweet. There, re- there retweet we go. Retweet us. We get, those, we get those every once in a while. Um, it's it's fun to get them from, from big-name people, which has happened a couple of times. Um, has not paid that big a dividends, but still pretty cool. Um, speaking of pretty cool people, I'm going to be speaking with or interviewing Gary Cooper's lone only child, uh, his daughter this coming week. What do you think about that? Okay. You know, 
bring up the the whole high noon story because uh, I think you and I discussed one time. You know, I, I you know I I think the whole communism thing uh, had to deal with the fact that he didn't have any of his friends supporting him. But I want to verify that if that was the if that was the big complaint about that that particular movie that nobody was there. Um, you know, when when the McCarthyism, yeah, and, and, you know, and and I and I, I'm going to say this is that some of those people deserved what they got because they were confirmed by the Venona papers that they were indeed uh, working with the Soviet Union. Yeah, a few of them uh, were found out. They were peddling an ideology that was highly detrimental, not just our country, but any country in the world, uh, present and past. Uh, but yeah, it started to becoming a, a witch hunt, uh, fishing expedition, if you will, and just got completely out of hand. But um, when people were like, oh, the Red Scare. Look, the Red Scare was a Red Scare for very viable reasons. Um, and so if people were like, well, that was blown out of proportion, I tend to sort of disagree with that. Um, I think that it was not blown out of proportion. I just don't think a lot of things were done correctly. And we're going to address a lot of things uh, going on in the country right now that are not being done correctly. Maybe you have the correct inkling. Uh, maybe you have even the best motives at heart, but you're doing it wrong. And, and, and they're doing it in a way that, you know, um, they're not really being, you know, truthful as to what their intentions are. You know, I've, I've never, I've never really had a complaint against Bernie Sanders. I don't like his politics, but Bernie Sanders is truthful about who and what he is. But if you have somebody who proclaims to be a moderate and then, and, is is uh, pushing policies that definitely are not moderate, that are definitely you know far left or even far right. Then uh, that's where you know we're going to have a problem. You know, speaking of being a moderate, um, Joe Manchin has hinted, wink and a nod, about possibly running for the presidency. I honestly would think about strongly. In fact. I would probably vote for him. That's me. Uh, I don't know where you fall on that, but uh, I like Joe Manchin. Listen, I, I he's, like he's Joe Manchin. He's a moderate because he says he's a moderate and he is a moderate. Yeah, but, you know, the problem I have with Joe Manchin is is that sometimes you don't know what you're going to get. Um, he Kind of like when Anthony Kennedy um, or even uh, John Roberts on the Supreme Court, you know, he did give... Biden, the green light uh, for his, uh, I don't know if it was the Build Back Better or whatever, um, you know, he was holding out and, and Kristen Sinema of Arizona was holding out. But when uh, when he caved and he even said himself that he was fooled, that he was promised stuff and he should have known that he was going to be fooled. You know, this is where I, I, I'm concerned about, you know, what he believes is the role of the federal government. And that's why I, although I, I would prefer him over another Biden or Gary, uh, what was it, Gavin Newsom? Um, I, I would rather have a Ted Cruz or a Rand Paul before I, before I vote for a Manchin. The thing is with Manchin is he is really, he's not beholden to his party. He's beholden to West Virginia. And I think because it's West Virginia, he remains a moderate. So there is a, like you said, be careful what you wish for once he gets to the point where he's no longer beholden to West Virginia, 
but to the populace, uh, the American populace as a whole, uh, you never know. He may be like, okay, now I can sort of let my guard down type of thing. Anyways, happy- if, if Tulsi Gabbard, if Tulsi Gabbard and Manchin ran the party, I would, I would feel much better about the, the, um, the, the situation in our country. Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. Tulsi Gabbard has my vote too. Um, happy Mother's Day uh, to all you ladies out there. I know yesterday, Sunday was Mother's Day. We hope that all of you had a wonderful, blessed day. You mothers out there, uh, you're wonderful, unless you're not, unless you're a terrible mother, uh, then get your act together. But I know my mother, I know your mother, uh, wonderful people, beautiful people, the best on earth, um, the salt of the earth. So there you have it. Happy Mother's Day to all of you. Yeah, too bad uh, she doesn't know I'm her mom. Uh, she doesn't know that, you know, she's my mom. Why you got to bring that up? Why do she you thinks, have to bring she it up? Thinks, she thinks my name is Raul, <laughs> which concerns me because I don't know if there's a pool boy named Raul at uh, that facility. So, you know, that, that kind of concerns me just a bit. What if you... <laughs> What if you come in? What if you come into a room dressed up as a pool boy and say that your name is Raul? And she'll be like, no, you're my son, Alan. A little reverse psychology. This conversation can go in a very bad direction. <laughs> That's true. Um, your mother's been a lonely woman for quite some time. Hey, 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 hey. That's my mom. That's my mom. Don't. I thought that's where you were going with this. No, I, no that's why I'm trying to avoid this okay, little rabbit okay, hole. Okay, well, I was just letting you know that I was following. I was picking up what you were putting down. All right, man. Well, let's get to it. You wanted to discuss on sort of the subject of, in today's terms, referring back to the Sons of Liberty, what would the Sons of Liberty do uh, with a government that seems to be I mean, this is not just federal government. This is also state governments uh, and local governments. But we'll probably just tie in primarily the federal government. That is completely out of hand. Uh, what would they do? Well, you know, what, what, caught, my, what caught my attention was um, that um, Marine, and, and I, um, the one who put the chokehold on that, I think his name is Jordan Neely. No, that's the guy who died. The one who died in the subway. He was attacking a lot of people, threatening a lot of people, and three people acted upon it. One of them was a former Marine. Wasn't his name, didn't you say his name was Daniel Perry or whatever? Yes, 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 yes. So, uh, yeah, I, 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 I know I wrote it down. It's in this list. But, uh, but yeah, Daniel Perry is, um, uh, is now going to be prosecuted by Alvin Bragg. And we'll get into more detail. But what wanted, the reason why I wanted to have this discussion was... That um, I noticed that people were saying, you know, pray for pray for Daniel Perry, pray for Daniel Perry, and I sat there and I thought about that, and I was like, okay, it's one thing to pray, but it's another to pray and not act and do something. So you're you're basically going to be, um, you know, at the mercy of Alvin Bragg, and hope that he's going to be a nice guy and see the see the light and do the right thing when. Is this what the Sons of Liberty would do? Would the Sons of Liberty just sit there and go, 
Let's pray that the British will do something, or not the British, because they were all British. Let's hope that the uh, that the government, that the that parliament, that the king will do the right thing. Governor Hutchinson will do the right thing. And when they realized their prayers were not being answered, they acted. And again, this is something we'll, we'll bring up as an event, um, a major event in American history. But But this is what you know, the reason why I wanted to have this discussion, would the Sons of Liberty just sit there and tell everyone to pray, or would they pray and act? And that's what this discussion... Now, before we have this discussion, I do want to say that there's a couple things that we are not recommending, tarring and feathering our opponents and sacking their homes. So I'm going to, well, you know, because I know somebody's going to say, well, well, they sacked, you know, Hutchinson's home and, uh, you know... Uh, that other guy's name, the one Oliver something, you know, they they sacked it. But although it wasn't the sons of history, sons of liberty, they did egg them on. But that was those were uh, those were mobs that did that. They just were kind of like you know, um, they you know encouraged somewhat to act. So yeah, I anyway, mean, so, and that's that isn't that the sort of the thin fine line that we're trying to walk here is um, between. Uh, Citizens demanding that the government do, government employees do the right thing, and then mob justice or vigilante justice. Like there's the the thin, fine line of doing that. Because we've seen vigilante justice over the past, and mob justice over the past, well, definitely the past five to six years, um, really hit a fever pitch during the George Floyd riots. Um, but we've, you know, over the past, but technically we've seen this type of vigilante mob justice trying to persuade via force to make government employees, um, civil servants and the government itself make decisions based on what the loudest part of the population wants. And we can go back to the Turn of the 20th century with the anarchist. We can go into the 60s and 70s uh, with like Black Panther and Weather Underground and sort of domestic terrorist groups like that. Um, And then we can even go into, you know, into this 21st century over the past, you would say, decade. Um, So there is a thin line. I think it's, it's relatively thin because too many people get confused about, well, how far is too far? And we have some references, but at the same time, like this is revolutionary references. 1765, we wanted to start in 1765. This was really just the British colonists who perceived themselves and had always perceived themselves over the past 150 years prior as British citizens, all of a sudden having their citizens like rights stripped away and the most important is that which affects your your economy your personal economy and and that's the taxes so this wasn't really like the revolution beginning this was sort of a a pushback and demands made on hey reinstitute our rights as citizens and i think that that's sort of where we're wanting to go. We're wanting to start with, you know, we're not pushing like revolutionary acts. We're pushing, hey, a 1765. We need to have a 1765 moment where we're saying, okay, you you guys are just discarding the law 
in order to appease either your con- your party member constituencies or an ideology. And that's sort of where we are. Well, we also, the other thing that we want to bring up is that was there violence? Um, were, were there acts of violence? Yes, there were. But we are going to compare the difference between what happened during the American Revolution versus what ha- what's happening today. There is a difference. And, you know, um, I think w- I'm, I'm going to make an attempt. I don't know about you, Dustin, but I'm going to make an attempt to say, okay, if you want to compare apples to apples, this is this is what you could do if you feel like um, harm is being inflicted or your rights are being violated and nothing is being done about it. So then go ahead. Take it away. Start with that. Start with okay, your apples well, and oranges. Yeah, we're only going to bring up a couple of them. There, there's a whole lot more, but we're just going to bring a few examples. The first one, like Dustin said, 1765 when uh, the British Parliament passed the Stamp Act. Okay, now, you know, people say, all right, what's the big deal? So, Okay, so they passed, um, you know, a, a tax law. Well, a little bit more, more than that. What happened was that the colonies, the colonists had their own taxing authority. So any taxes that were brought upon the people in the colonies was because... You know, they voted on delegates to represent them with their consent, and with their consent, those those delegates, those representatives, they passed their own taxes, and that was something that the that the colonists uh, complied and obeyed th- those particular laws. Well, when British Parliament, who had absolutely no representatives from the colonies, started imposing taxes on the people. The concern, even though they were they were minute, like you know, for instance, the 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 tea act was was uh, three pence per pound. That's it, three pence. That's nothing. But what what you know, people like Samuel Adams was saying is is that if we allow them to stick a foot through the door, the next thing you know, they're going to stick a hand because they know they got away with it, and then they're going to stick their head. And then sooner or later, they're going to stick their entire body through the door. Same thing with the taxes. You let one tax slide, you allow it to happen, they're going to impose another one and another one. And even Samuel Adams did mention, um, if we let them get away with this, then they're going to, what's next? Are they going to tax our land? Are they going to tax our income? Are they going to, you know, and, and he, was, he, he gave some examples. And, and let's face it. Based on based on you know what we've seen, that's exactly what they what they do. That's exactly what government does. So, so the colonists were like, nope, nope, and um, they they met the the Sons of Liberty met and they they decided to organize. They planned a conference. Uh, they had a Stamp Act conference um, the following year, and they sent petitions to the king and to the Parliament saying, look, you know we're still loyal subjects. However, you are imposing taxes on us and laws on us that we never consented to and we're not going to comply. We're going to boycott. We're going to petition. We're going to protest. And the people did just that. See, I want to I want to interject here and mention that I mentioned um, your personal economy. That typically is something that will wake people up. Like even something, you know, like every presidential election, like the economy is always number one on the list of concerns for citizens when they're voting. The economy is important, but what's what this is, is taxes affect 
your personal economy. But what it has to be is about the principle, the principle of undermining your sovereign right to be represented by your personal representative, by your the, the, the House of Representatives, your personal in your in your district to be represented. It's sort of like when people complain about like the guns, gun rights, right? So many times people get caught up in the idea of we need to be able to have our guns, our gun rights, that it becomes more about guns than the idea of self-defense and defense against your, your neighbor or mobs like we've seen so recently or the government itself. It has to be about principle and not so much about individual items like, in, like your personal economy or your business economy. It has to be on principle, like you are affecting our rights as an individual, as a citizen, just like the guns, just like in guns and self-defense. You are undermining my very personal right to defend myself. It has to be about that before it is about guns. It has to be about representation before it's about the economic consequences. But I did want to mention you meant the, well the number one the number one right, which is an inalienable right. It's not a right given to us by the government. It's a right that we already have that the government is just there to protect. And that's the right of self-defense. Right. Yeah, life, liberty and the pursuit of happiness. If you cannot defend yourself, then your life, your liberty and your pursuit of happiness is all up for grabs. We've seen this. We've seen this History is, is, is marked uh, with this. You mentioned the states organized, the, the colonies organized, and they planned a conference. I wanted to ask you, because that was a time that pretty much those 13 colonies sort of viewed themselves very separately from each other, almost as obviously they were, they were all under British rule, um, and they, Actually, you need to go. You need to go beyond thirteen. We're we're looking more at. Uh, I want to. I think it was eighteen at the time. There were eighteen colonies at the time. Well, what East I'm saying Flor is, like, like for instance, East Florida, West Florida, Quebec, Newfoundland. I mean, those were all considered just the same as the original thirteen. And in fact, at that conference, I think only nine colonies showed up. Well, my my point being is they had ideals that they all agreed on and they all agreed on specific things so these were almost like 13 or 9 different countries coming together under the idea of specific principles you know hey yes you know we're we're under british rule and this obviously ex extended into when when you've got the article, articles of confederation you were fighting the american revolutionary war but today you have 50 states, and a lot of these states, governors, legislatures, they, they tend to view themselves as first belonging to the country instead of to themselves, and we are a state within a federal system and a union, like we're here by union. Do you think that that's even possible to go in with the same mentality as we did in 1765, under the the idea of we're presenting principles, we're not so much presenting ourselves as states. 
And I think the reason I bring this up is that I think we've been so polluted as individual states to now just perceive ourselves as union, one country, and there's almost like no borders between between states. So I think it makes it even more difficult for states to come together and do these types of things. What are your thoughts? Well, you know, there's there has been discussions about, um, you know, there, there are some states that have stated uh, or, or they have declared themselves as not complying the some of the latest gun like it was I think Biden uh, signed a signed an executive orders and it had something to do with guns I don't I'm, I don't remember exactly what it was uh, Texas just said we're we're not we are not complying uh, because you know this this was not something that was passed by Congress it's um, uh, I know Texas Florida many many of the states said we're not complying so. And and that's something that the states have that right to do. It's it's always been there because there have been states longer than there has been um, a, a federal government. And you know, our federal government was created in uh, what uh, it was ratified when in 1788. Is that uh, um, I think it was, it was ratified 1789, in 1789. I want to say 1787. I think the, the well, we last, had the, the first election was in 1788. So. But, you know, that was a different government that we were under the Articles of Confederation. We were not a republic at that time. We were a confederacy or a confederation of states. So the government, the government that we have today has been around since 1788 or 1789. Well, states have been you, around longer than that. You mentioned the states coming together, and, but it's always the same. Like, go back to the Obama administration. Obama would put something out that... The red states didn't like, so they would the the AGs, the attorneys general, would come together and sue the the federal government. Trump comes in, and the AGs of the blue states would come together and sue the government. Now you're having the same exact thing that happened under Obama happen with with Biden, where the red states come together, the attorney generals, attorneys generals, come together and sue. It seems like just political pandering instead of. We are act, like it just seems like a like a separation like it's it's red and blue and it's not about the principles it's about the politics and that's what is so irritating because people like you and I and the average citizen sees this and like why are you suing are you suing because of the principles or are you suing because you it's political gamesmanship or you it's like you and I talk about this all the time where we get so irritated. You and I are conservatives and we get so irritated when Republican congressmen, congresswomen get in front of the camera and showboat and say, we're going to fight against this and we're going to do this. And we know that it's just talk. It's political speech. That's it. And that is what I keep seeing with we're coming together and we're suing the federal government. Really? Like, I, I, well, it's a waste okay. of time. I, I say, don't e- don't even bother. Just don't comply. Yeah, just don't comply. Try to try to enforce a law that we don't believe in that we that we believe is unconstitutional. That the federal government is overstepping their boundaries. Just don't comply. What and are I, they going to do? Are they going to send federal troops? Yeah, because right. that's what they'll end up having to do. You know what are we gonna are we gonna beg beg for uh, more money? You know, please let us keep more of our money. Believe me, you know. And and this was something that Madison and Jefferson both talked about. If you look at, you know, the um, those like the Virginia and the again the Kentucky uh, resolves um, 
I think that's what they're called, um, where they were like, you know, the states, st- the states um, trump the the federal government in certain things. If if it's not a power that was delegated to the federal government, they have no right to to say or do anything about it. And um, you know, and and one of the things that we're going to talk about is going to be in the whole immigration and naturalization. That's one of the topics that we were going to go to. Um, I, I want to finish this this part of it and go on to the next one, and then, then we can get more. Yeah, I know, but this in. is this is a conversation, so we're mm-hmm. going to have a conversation. I'm not going to have you preach to me. You hear me? Look, man, if you don't comply, I'm going to have my own show. <laughs> I'm going to secede from the sons of history. <laughs> Although, it, you know what? That probably wouldn't work too What well. would it be called? Um, well... I don't know the uh, the prodigal son of history. How about the pool boy of history? <laughs> the what the what the Raul of no. <laughs> All right, go ahead. Man. No, 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 the whole idea the whole idea of us seceding is inconceivable. Well, here's the thing: is um, you say refuse to comply, and I see this in in a lot of ways where you have states do this. Uh, and like, no, we're not we're not complying with that. If you want to, we're not complying with these federal laws. So if you want to send in your federals and your feds and try to, you know, enforce this. Yeah. Go right ahead. That there are so many things that are irritating to me when it comes to, uh, non-compliance. But one of the things that we seem to always have to comply with is the taxations and the States are just as much of the problem as the federal government when it comes to taxation, because like you said, they take federal money. If they stopped, if states stopped taking federal money, billions, tens of billions of dollars every year, then one, that would stop that. It's not a leak. It's just a a complete gushing, you know, money water hose. And if they just turned off that spigot, well, that would put more money back in our pocket. But the state the states are in cahoots with the federal government. Keep sending us money. Whose money is it? It's not the federal government's money. It's the federal government that they take They take our money and then they put it right. It's money laundering on a political level That's with our money. We're begging them to get the, you know, can we have some of our money back? You know, we want more of our money, please. You know? Yeah. And- Here's $600. Yeah. Like what a complete slap in the face that was. I couldn't believe that that was, I was like, this is, a, this is incredible. You're sending billions and billions of dollars. That was one of the things like when we had um, Peter Zion on the, on the show last season, who I'm a huge fan of. And he didn't really, I asked him about, his thoughts on sending all these billions of dollars to these other countries during the pandemic. And he didn't really seem to know about that. And I was like, here it is. We're signing bills and sending off billions of dollars. Obviously we're recouping that hopefully back, but some of these are pretty much failed States. So no, you're, you're not. Um, They're getting billions and billions of dollars. They're not citizens. They're not, they're not any, they're just citizens of the world, if you will, but they're not American citizens. And yet they had the gall to give people a $600 check while they shut down everybody's businesses, except for the, the huge businesses, uh, slap in the face and people took it. And that's what I'm saying. P- 
people refuse to comply on certain things, the left, when it comes to the left and the young people on the left, typically refuse to comply on stuff that have nothing to do with the Constitution, nothing to do with practiced common law, nothing to do with that. It's all about privileges and that's it. Like, well, you know, if you look in here in uh, here in Houston, in Harris County, uh, our uh, so-called judge, County Judge Lena Hidalgo, told everybody, if you see a business open that's not supposed to be, report them. Hmm, okay, that sounds a little familiar, don't you think? Um, you know, I'm not going to mention any businesses, but I know several businesses that defied Harris County. They did open. Um, you had to kind of, there were certain things you had to do to get in, in order to get in, you know, the, the doors were locked, but yes, I did, I did find several businesses that, uh, that defied Harris County, def- defied, uh, Lena. So that's how you do it. Um, and you know, there comes a point where if you know that, you know, we're talking about things that are unconstitutional, that are unconstitutional, clearly unconstitutional. The government can only do what it does if we comply, and you know the, the and that's why the subject is you know what would the Sons of Liberty do? The Sons of Liberty clearly clearly saw things that were against you know their rights. Uh, you know there was a um, the, a Bill of Rights, uh, the, uh, the the British or English Bill of Rights, and you know if they felt that it was being violated. They didn't just sit there and say, oh, let's, let's pray about it. I mean, I don't have anything against prayer. I mean, I pray myself, but I do it more for communication rather than asking for anything. But, you know, God gave us uh, a brain and two feet to get up, walk, and, and go let our officials know this is not right. This is unconstitutional. This is against our rights, rights of self-defense, right to worship, the right to... Um, you know, pursue happiness, the right to work, everything. It's it violates our rights. And if if we sit there and we comply because oh we happen to like that politician, then we're we're really only doing it to ourselves. And I I saw a lot of that during the whole COVID uh, uh, pan, the whole COVID pandemic, yelling and screaming at somebody, um, demanding that they you know wear their mask properly cover your nose i've heard so many people say and then you know um and and i'm not going to mention any companies but you know when when uh, biden said that if you have a company of over i I don't know what the number was 60 people 100 people um then you have to you have to vaccinate those employees no and i was prepared to quit my job or let them fire me um, because I was not going to get uh, the COVID vaccine. I, I, was, I literally was defying, um, I, I'm not going to mention the name of the company, but, I, but no, but suffice it, it to and, say that there was defiance on my part. And to that point, people will say, oh, you're an anti-vaxxer. And there, is, there goes back to the guns, to self-defense, the economic impact to taxes. It's about, it's about the principle. Like, it's not about the vaccine. It's about being forced to take a medicine of any kind. Like, when you go to a doctor and you have type 2 diabetes and he prescribes to you insulin or other things, you have every right 
to not take that. You have every right to not take it. And that is, that's where the line was totally crossed, which was, you have no choice in the matter. And people will say, well, um, it wasn't forced upon you. You, you didn't have a gun to your head. Like, well, you had the, a gun in the shape of a dollar bill, if you will. If you started saying, you know what, we're not complying as a business owner of a large business, right? If you said, we're not complying with this, they were going to fine you into oblivion and shut you down. Like, therefore, yeah, technically you have a gun to your head. And people went with it. That's what was so wild is so many people, big name people, people who should know better in the words of Ronald Reagan, people who knew better went with it. And it went right back to what I was talking about with the attorneys general, where they pick a side, a political side. And this became strictly political while people were, while those who were saying, don't make this political, made it completely political. That's, that's what was so incredibly irritating. Well, you know, the good thing about what the people, what the Americans did um, in, in, in the 1760s and 1770s is they organized and they, like I said, there were boycotts, protests, and it, it, the, the officials vastly underestimated the resolve of the American people. And they had to bend. They had, now they, they cut the, they got rid of the Stamp Act. They realized the writing on the wall was, we're going to have a, a whole rebellion on our hands. Now, they did throw out the declaratory, I think it was called the declaratory, is it, yeah, the, the, the declaratory act where Parliament said, hey, we're Parliament, and if we want to raise taxes or if we want to pass a bill and oppose it on you, then it's our right. This one time, we'll let you have it, but we're going to be back, and and. That's exactly what they did. Shortly after that, they passed the—I uh, don't know if it's called the Townsend or Townshend Act. I never could, uh, never, never did. But it's—it's it's spelled Townsend. That seems to be the tactic that our government has taken, which is we are able to tax or pass laws regarding you and anything whatsoever, and you must comply. Like, no, that's—that's not—that is a dictatorship. That is a monarchy without parliament. That is a totalitarian form of government. That's not what we live under. We live under a federal republic, a federal system, and a republic. And I tell you, here's, here's what is a concern to me. Because I think the economy, the economies run everything, every decision. You said it yourself, you have a brain and you've got two feet. Therefore, you're able to vote with your feet, whether that's going to a restaurant or whether that's staying in a city or a state. And you've had so many people, I've run into so many, you know, we're out here in Texas, I've run into so many people from California, Oregon, and Washington, the West Coast. Like, they're just coming in like the, like droves. And, and it's because the government has become so, it's, it's an untenable situation. Or like, we can't live here anymore. I've got no problem with that going on. I've got no problem with people able to move from state to state in a better sort of like in a search for a better life. And sadly, like we talk about people in Latin America coming over here in search of a better life. Like we've got people crossing state lines in search of a better life. And that's that's pathetic. Not not for them, but for those state governments doing that. 
My point being is it's all for naught if the federal government continues to pour in money to those states and bells them out and helps them out and sustains the, that poor government. That is, that's the real problem. And therefore, you wipe out the economic impact of addressing the removal of governors, legislators, all of that. Because now they're safely in power because the economic impact isn't where it should be. That's my problem. You know, now sometimes, um, you know, there are government, government policies will actually lead people to break laws. Um, you know, I, I don't know what you're, what, the, the whole war on drugs. I, I think it, I, for me, I think it appears obvious that the war on drugs is a failure and we need to, we need to rethink the whole, the whole policy, the whole uh, keeping certain things illegal when, when it's clear that people want it. I mean, we saw that in, in the, uh, you know, the 20s with uh, prohibition. But, you know, it, back in those days, there was a system known as mercantilism where, you know, you, you could only purchase items or sell items through British ports. Um, now, that, what happened was is that led to smuggling. And in order to enforce the laws to prevent smuggling, the British, you know, Parliament uh, sent the Navy and they sent the Army to enforce the laws. Now, this led to one event known as the Gatsby Affair. Uh, there was a ship called the HMS Gatsby that, you know, patrolled uh, Rhode Island. And uh, they were chasing a smuggler. The, the, the ship was uh, known as the Hannah. And it ran aground. Well, you know, the people organized, and uh, there, was a sons, there were some Sons of Liberty there. Uh, one of the guys named uh, John Brown, and I think he's the one, he had something to do with Brown University. He might have opened Brown University. But, but John Brown and about 54, 55 other men rode boats out to the Gatsby before the tide came in, and uh, they captured the ship. Now, there was a fight, and uh, Dudington was shot in the crotch, and, you know, and but but once they surrendered and the ship was captured, they evacuated Dudington and all the guys. They tended to Dudington. He did survive, but you know. But Dudington was kind of an abusive guy. So they did evacuate all the men, but then they torched the ship. So the Gatsby went up in flames. Now, here's the deal, and and we're gonna do it. Like I said, we're gonna do a compare and contrast. The um, the 55 men that rode out there stopped the problem, which was they uh, disabled Dudington and they got rid of the weapon that was used against them, which was the Gatsby. Um, they didn't go and attack, they didn't, you know, um, what's the word, dox? They didn't dox the families of the sailors. They did not destroy their careers. They put a stop to, you know, like if you use deadly force, the deadly force is used to stop the crime. You can't go and chase the person and go and kill him. If, if he committed a crime, you can't go chase him down, hunt him, find him in his home, and kill him. The deadly force is only used for stopping a crime itself. Like if you see someone beating up another person to death, your job is to stop the beating. Well, that's what they did with the Gatsby. They put an end to the abuses that were committed by the, by the Gatsby and by Dudington. Now, the same thing happened about a year later, and we're coming up on the 250th anniversary of the Boston Tea Party, where, you know, the, uh, there was a monopoly on 
tea. It was um, the British. British were forcing everyone to to drink one kind of tea from. Uh, I think it was was it the East India Company, and they imposed a, a tax. It was a really low tax, three pence per pound, and um, you know, and that made tea cheaper than the smuggled tea. Well, again, even though it was going to make life easier on the uh, the colonists, they also knew that if we allow this tax, which we did not consent, if we allow even this tax, which is a very low tax, if, if they're sticking that hand through the door, then the next thing we know is that whole arm is going to come through, and they're going to keep going, and they're going to keep going. I mean, let's let's face it, when the income tax was first uh, imposed on Americans. I don't think it was the uh, the rate that we're using today. I mean, I think what somewhere like between a quarter to a third of our taxes of our income is taxed. When the income tax was created uh, about 110 years ago, it wasn't it wasn't even that close. But it has slowly, slowly, slowly just got bigger and bigger and bigger. So, so the, even though it was a three pence tax, they're like no. So. You know, there were three ships, you know, all, all the tea that went to all the different uh, ports were sent back. Uh, in, in Charlestown, South Carolina, it's called Charlestown at the time, they let the tea sit on the dock and rot. But um, in, in Massachusetts, at the port of Boston, Boston Harbor, um, you had a governor named Thomas Hutchinson, who would ref- he refused to send the tea back. So what was going to happen was that um, the tea would have to be unloaded, and when it's unloaded, the people of Boston, the people of Massachusetts had to pay the tax. So the Sons of Liberty said, look, either get rid of the ships or else, get, you know, send the, send the tea back or else. Hutchinson said, you know, screw you. So, And see, that, that right there— but Hold on, hold on. Let me, it, let me finish, on. Let me but, finish but my I'm point. But I'm just saying, it's like, point. I know, but you'll go on for 10 years. I, no, uh, I, I just want to state this part. Okay. Is that the, the Sons of Liberty— said, okay, fine, if that's how it's going to work, you know, 150, about 150 men boarded the three ships. They destroyed the tea. They did not hurt anyone. They did not destroy the ships. They did not destroy any businesses. They did not destroy any homes. They destroyed the tea. Then they cleaned up the ships. And then they went home. Now compare that to what BLM and Antifa does, where they destroyed people's, they, they, they've attacked people, they've killed people, they've burned homes, they've burned businesses. There's the difference between what the Sons of Liberty did and what groups like Antifa and the BLM are doing. Yeah. Well, thanks a lot for uh, finishing up and then throwing me off of what I was going to say. But anyways, going back to Hutchinson, Hutchinson was the type of politician that we have today who is more attuned to his or her party or government federal government compliance trying to be in good with the the government like Hutchinson with the king in parliament wanting to do as Britain Great Britain wanted instead of who he really was supposed to be representing which was the people that's the difference in what a good politician or statesman, stateswoman is supposed to be doing is representing their constituents. That's the problem, is we've got too many who are trying to please the party or please big government and agencies that they're ignoring people, but at the same time saying, oh, no, we're, we're trying to, to do what's best for you, which is, you know, talking out of both sides of your mouth. To your point, 
Let me ask you this. <clears throat> Do you think, because you brought up BLM and Antifa um, and their, their methods of going way too extreme and violent extremism, do you think that the police station that was set on fire, I think in Minnesota is a sort of equal or adjacent to setting the gas on fire? If it, you know, I'll say this, there was an event that took place in uh, France, July 14 of 1789. They, they commemorate it today. It's called Bastille day. If the police station was used to violate human rights, if it was a place where they were beating prisoners, if they were beating not convicts, but people who were arrested, then absolutely I would say that torching the police station was the proper thing to do because that police station was being used to violate inalienable rights, human rights, constitutional rights. But I, what I would say is, like, you know, the Sons of Liberty, when they torched, when they, when they destroyed the tea, or when they torched the Gatsby, all they did was they got rid of the Gatsby, because the Gatsby was the problem, with no, with no, uh, and this is a, this is a uh, military ship, this was not, these were not police, this was not a police cruiser, this was a military ship, this was martial law, now, they weren't under martial law, but I mean, that's, that's really what you have. You know, we have in the United States, we have uh, the commie, uh, there's a um, com posse comitatus. Posse comitatus prevents the military, the U.S. military, from enforcing civil laws, unless it's an insurrection. Well, it was a violation of, even though it wasn't a law then, it was a violation of posse comitatus because you had a military ship enforcing civilian laws. So they destroyed the ship, game over, and that was it. And everybody went home after that. So that I think that would probably be the best way to look at it is look at what happened on Bastille Day. The Bastille was a symbol. Bastille was used to violate rights. And if that's what the police station, if that's what was going on in the police station, then I, I, tell, me, tell, me, uh, tell me if I'm wrong. That, that's me personally. I would have been like, hey, you know what? You're doing stuff in there that you're not supposed to be doing. Now, if they went, if they went on and they kept doing other things, you know, you, and, you know, I mean, they're burning businesses. Yeah. See, that's not cool. But, but here's the thing. Like there are I think there are sort of three separate sections. So you have the Gatsby that is torched, but it doesn't give you the right to go burn the entire fleet. Right. So you're not going to go and like, okay, now every military ship and every military station has to be burned, right? It's too extreme. But at the same time, those two are still in the same ballpark, if you will, because they're both part of the government, right? It's like the that police station, okay, you burned it down, but that doesn't mean that you can go burn down other police station or municipal courts or, or whatever, you know? And I'm not saying that burning down that police station was right or wrong. Um, that's like, that's a completely different conversation. Um, but what I'm saying is you bring in the citizen, like the civilian businesses, private businesses, BLM and Antifa started going after private businesses, which for them, their ideology 
is very anti-private property, right? So private property is also seen as the problem. So they cross that line into, okay, no longer are you really about uh, justice for the individual citizens as far as like that separation between, you know, what the state can do to private citizens. Now you're going after the private citizens who you are supposedly in favor of. Um, and I think that that's, that's the difference in the ideology between today's groups of like BLM and Antifa and the, like the sons of Liberty, they were all about the private citizen. They were all about, uh, citizens rights, um, to So they never attacked people's businesses, except when maybe like those business owners actually were in cahoots with the government. I saw that, you know. Yeah, the, yeah, there, that did happen. Where uh, some of the some of the uh, tarring the and feathering very, and stuff like that. Some of the men who ended up becoming uh, called loyalists later on. Um, yes, their their businesses their businesses may have been boycotted. Um, I, I I I'm not saying that there weren't any that were not destroyed. I'm, I'm right now. I can't think of any that were destroyed, and I'm not saying it didn't happen. Uh, but I do know that they were boycotted. There were many businesses that were boycotted, and I mean, you know, I hey, mean, that's but and that's then that's our right. But that's the rights of the people. That's the rights of the people to do that. And I think that we've done a, a good job of boycotting individual businesses. The problem is we can't boycott the federal government. Like they're already in our pocket, and now that we are pretty much completely digital, a digital currency. They're completely in our pocket. Like, so they can pretty much do whatever they want to do, and it's very difficult to do anything about it, which is why going strictly digital in your currency, that's a completely different story. But that's the risk of going completely digital uh, with our currency. Yeah, they, they even, they even, you know, here's the thing is, is that the federal government has encroached on just about everything in our lives. And that was, that was not the intentions. You know, the... the you know, there was a group of men known as the Anti-Federalists. And, and you know, who, who are the Anti-Federalists? Patrick Henry, Samuel Adams, Richard Henry Lee, who was the man who introduced the uh, resolution to declare independence. Um, and, you know, and, and a whole lot more who were very weary about the idea of a strong central government. And, and they warned everybody, you know, if we're afraid of trading one tyrant... 3,000 miles away for a whole bunch of tyrants in our backyard. And that is exactly, you know, that's what the Federalist Papers were. Uh, the, um, you know, you had um, uh, James Madison, Alexander Hamilton, and John Jay saying, don't worry, it's all the things that the Anti-Federalists are saying is not going to happen. Well, they unfortunately had... Uh, you know, too much confidence in the government and in the people uh, who allowed, who consented to all these new powers, which the federal government was never supposed to have. Well, it's like Thomas Sowell always says, um, there's only one thing that the government is good at, and that's expanding. And so the, I don't want to say inevitable, but the inevitable took place where the government was just going to expand. So now they are they are dealing they've been dealing so long with things that have nothing to do with the constitution um that 
now, like you said, they are in every aspect. They're in every aspect of our life. They're in, you know, they have a say in every single thing that we do. And that was never supposed to be uh, the way it is. And I will say this, people say, we need to get rid of the 16th Amendment. We need to get rid of the 17th Amendment or anything like post 15th Amendment we need to get rid of. And I'm like, okay, I, I, I can agree with that. You know, okay, let's, let's just say that that, that takes place. Well, we also have to keep in mind that all of those amendments are now constitutional and those are decided upon not just by the federal government. Those are, that was decided upon by the states and the people. So people who, people like to give Woodrow Wilson a hard time and we do on this show. Uh, we're not fans of Woodrow Wilson. Um, I think he's a tragic figure, but it's beside the point. But people say, yeah, the 16th Amendment and the 17th Amendment, Woodrow Wilson. I'm like, dude, he he just signed it. That's all he did. <laughs> so that had to go through a ton of steps in order to get to his desk. So people need to keep that in mind. Um, yeah, the, the bad thing is today we have, uh, we have a compliant media that, um, you know, they're cheerleaders for many of our uh, political leaders and they, yes. they're not they're not telling us the truth. They're really not. I mean, I, I, you know, I remember watching Walter Cronkite and I thought what he said was gospel. Found out later on, not so. He really he did have his own uh, he did have his own beliefs. And it and he let it be known uh, very, very, you know, he didn't like splurt out certain things. But the way he uh, reported, when you look back now, you can you can kind of see it. Well, that's why he was the, considered the most trusted man in America, because there were so few outlets to contradict him. And nobody questioned him. Yeah. Nobody, nobody ever questioned him. Well, he was getting fed the same material that everybody else was. I think Bob Woodward did a, did a good job of breaking that down in one of his books, of, of how the, the CIA and the FBI and you know, the federal government fed information to these outlets and had them parroting everything, or would I say mockingbirding, uh, everything that they they wanted out there, so yeah, and they're all in the same thing. There were times, you know, people will say, "Well, what you know, what are we going to do? What what should we do?" Well, um, I'm gonna I'm gonna, and we'll talk about some of the abuses. But there there's two other events that uh, people need to look at, in which uh, the people did something. They stood up and they defied the authorities. Uh, there were two examples. Um, both of them happened in 1775. The first one was known as the Salem Gunpowder Raid. Um, uh, Governor, now, now this is when now, when uh, Thomas Hutchinson was forced to flee Massachusetts and General British General Thomas Gage took over. Um, what he did was he sent redcoats, regulars, violating the what we'd now call the Posse Comitatus. He sent British redcoats up to the the, the uh, city of Salem, where the witches were, and uh, tried <laughs> to confiscate arms and powder and munitions. Well, the whole city turned out and stood in their way and kept them. They delayed them for quite some time, but uh, eventually an agreement was made. But they peacefully stood their ground, stood in front of the redcoats, would not let them pass. And it was a show of force that that the British uh, soldiers and Thomas Gage uh, could not could not ignore. So about seven weeks later, 
Thomas Gage was going to do something very similar, only this time, instead of doing it in the middle of the day, he, he tried to do it in the middle of the night to kind of sneak across, you know, Boston Harbor uh, in the Charles River and, and land and march on Lexington and Concord, uh, mostly Concord. And this is when, you know, the, you know uh, uh, Dawes and Revere uh, did their midnight ride to warn everybody, the regulars are out, the regulars are out, turn out your militia. And it was the same thing where they were going to march to Concord and they were going to go and capture some arms and munitions and powder. And again, the, uh, the militia stood their ground. Um, now, in, in what happened in Lexington, they were not standing in the way. They were off to the side on the, in the park. The, they called it the Lexington Green. And the British marched out towards them, and that's where the fighting erupted. But had the British just, had the soldiers just kept going, there would not have been a fight at Lexington. And uh, probably what would happen in Concord is all the munitions were, would have been gone by then. I mean, there was some stuff that were captured. But, but these were examples of people standing their ground and defying the government and saying, no. No, we're not. This is BS. You're not going to sit here and march your soldiers, you know, onto our property, onto our land, and and uh, take away our right to self-defense. That's how the Revolutionary War started. Now, how do we compare that to today? I'm going to mention this one person because this is one of my best examples, and there are going to be other examples. But the New York District Attorney, Alvin Bragg, okay, this guy has turned felonies into misdemeanors. New York now is a very dangerous place. Um, I, think it was, I think it was last year or it might have been earlier this year. There was uh, a 61-year-old man named Jose Alba who worked in what was known as a bodega, which is like a, you know, a corner market, you know, and uh, this 35-year-old guy named Austin Simon started beating him up, and Jose Alba stabbed him. He was defending himself. You could clearly see it in the videos. The 61-year-old man defends himself and kills the 35-year-old Austin Simon, who, my understanding, had a long rap sheet to begin with. Well, Alvin Bragg is like, I'm going to press charges against Jose Alba. There was such an outcry that even the mayor was like, no. No, don't do this. This is this is bad for politics. So Alvin Bragg relented. Um, now, this is the same guy that's going after Donald Trump uh, for felonies that aren't felonies and for crimes that aren't, you know, state crimes. Um, if if they're even crimes, they were they're they're under the, the federal government. They'd be something that the federal government would pursue, not a not a local government. But now Alvin Bragg is in a, something that we mentioned. Um, Jordan Neely was, he's, he's punched, he punched a 67-year-old woman, just out of the blue, punched her. And he, he's thrown people, he, he's thrown people onto subway tracks. He's, he's verbally and physically abused people on the subway. And he was doing that, and Jordan, I was a Daniel Perry, was minding in his own business until people got scared. And so Daniel Perry, the former Marine, and two other guys held Jordan Neely down because they had enough. They had enough. This guy's been arrested, what, 40 times? 40 times? And the people had enough. And they three guys tackled him, and Daniel Perry had the chokehold, and he died. Okay, big loss. Well, to Alvin Bragg, he decides to 
press charges against Daniel Perry. Now, do we pray for uh, Daniel Perry? Of course, but is that enough? No. No. I think the people of New York need to do what the people of Salem and the people of Lexington and Concord did. March and protest and say, no, no, not on, not on our watch. You are not, we are not going to allow you to do this. That's, that's my... And I, I think that goes right back to the principles. Like a Daniel Perry, a type like that, where it's just like, you can't, you can't think that you can just terrorize people and get away with it. And people think that nowadays. They do believe that you can actually terrorize people to the point until you become a mass shooter. And this Jordan Neely character, the only thing that his, is his saving grace is apparently that he went around dancing like Michael Jackson on subway sometimes, which is uh, a sure sign that you've lost your mind, right? But, I mean, you've been arrested how many times? You've, you've assaulted how many people? You are begging... Like that's, that's like a, a, like a potential mass shooter right there. And people were like, well, you know, he, they will defend him. They'll defend people like that until that person becomes say a mass shooter. And I'm not saying Jordan Neely was going to be a mass shooter, but people like that become mass shooters or killers. And it's like, you wait till that point. And then what, what happens is people don't start talking about a Jordan Neely who goes around or a, somebody who's not lost their mind and goes around and starts shooting people. No, they start blaming the guns. And that's where we have lost our sight. And I say we. There are so many Americans that are on the side of what we're talking about, that agree with what we're talking about. They are the pushback. They are the ones that understand the principles of the American system of the constitutional rights. They understand those principles. So I don't want people to think that you and I feel like we're the only ones crying out in the wilderness. We know that probably to an extent, we are part of the majority, I would say. But there are millions of people in this country who will go to social media, go to Twitter, and defend somebody like a Jordan Neely, or they will not condemn like a mass shooter, but they will condemn the idea of guns and not understand that guns in in particular are, it's a principle of self-defense. It's not about the guns. It's about that person who is nuts out of their mind and is completely violent. And we've lost sight of that because I think we have raised a generation that doesn't understand the idea of principles. They understand the idea of party politics and ideologies. That's where I think we are we are in a really bad situation. And that idea only gets echoed by our politicians, somebody like a district attorney, Alvin Bragg. That's the danger that we're in. All right. Now, what do you think about, you know, because I know we were going to talk about the border crisis. You know, for me, you know, I have a, you know, I, I've... I've read, you know, and I've taken classes about regarding the Constitution, and it clearly it's clearly states that states deal with immigration, and the federal government deals with naturalization. Who becomes a who becomes a U.S. citizen? You know, right now we have the border crisis. Title Forty Two expired, and you know our worthless uh, Mayorkas, uh, Department of Homeland Security, who could extend 
or he could enforce the, you know, I mean, look, the, the border wall was shut down on day one. You know, Biden shut it down. Um, so we have estimates 700,000 have already are lined up against the border. We have 80,000 coming through Guatemala right now. Mayorkas, um, the eunuch is acting all like, I don't know what, you know, this is all the Republicans' fault. Um, here's the problem is, is that like the state of Texas, it's our towns, it's our border towns that are being flooded with people. Now, you know, the state of Texas is going to be paying for their housing, their medical care, their schooling. You know, they're going to come here to Harris County and, you know, they're going to they're going to say we need to raise your taxes because we need to build more schools. We have an influx of uh, of children. We have to educate them. Well, you know, I have a problem with that because that's my tax dollars and I did not invite them in. So, you know, we're footing the bill. We're having to pay for all this stuff. So, you know, you know, DeSantis of Florida and uh, Abbott of Texas have decided that, you know, we're going to start sending these uh, these people to blue states. We're going to send them to blue cities like Philadelphia, Chicago, New York. I mean, what, DeSantis sent 50, 50 migrants to Martha's Vineyard, and they shit their pants over 50 people. Yeah, Chicago has said that they've got an immigration crisis. The yeah. gall of, of these people are like, you think you have an immigration crisis? You're freaking right next to the Canadian border, practically. What are you talking about? Insane. Right, so it's, you know, this, like the state of Texas, you know, Arizona, New Mexico, you know, we're having California even. It's having to take all these people in. We don't we don't have uh, I mean, they need jobs. Well, when you have that many people, guess what? Wages go down because if you've got a thousand people wanting 10 jobs, then the employer is like, hey, you know what? Instead of paying these people 15 an hour, which is what uh, they want, we'll charge it. What's the minimum wage? Seven something. Let's just charge them seven something because they'll take that job. They'll take it. So people who are Americans, who are uh, who are lower unskilled Americans, um, their wages go down. They're they're not going to get that fifteen an hour. They're going to they're going to be paid minimum wage. And, and here's what's here's what's interesting to what you're saying is people will use this as a claim of racism, right? Like, oh, you're not paying these people a wage that you would pay a white person. It's just like, no, it's like, it's low cost labor. It's, it's unskilled labor and it's labor that doesn't require healthcare and it doesn't require, like they don't even have green cards. Like this is what we're talking about. Like this goes back to 1880s where you had the Chinese Exclusion Act because you had just ended slavery. So you had, you know, the free labor movement. And then you had the Chinese coming in in the droves into California and the West Coast and people started going in upward. Why? Because it dropped everybody's wages. This is exactly what's going to go. And it's not so much like racism. Obviously, there's going to be racist tendencies with that because it's affecting your pocketbook. But it has less to do with that and has more to do with the economic impact, the individual economic impact. And we're going to be uh, we're going to be hit with this. And the thing is, is people will make the argument like, well, these people are trying to escape, you know, poverty or violence and different stuff. Like, look, I agree with all those arguments. I, I really do. Like, let's just say, like, if I was 
in El Salvador or if I was being uh, hunted down by the, the cartels of Mexico, I would be wanting to get over here as soon as possible. I'm not disagreeing with that. What the problem is, is the principle of free movement stops at the borders because these are sovereign states. These are sovereign nations, Mexico, El Salvador, you know, America, like Canada, like these are all sovereign nations. So you have to abide by these laws that these sovereign nations have. Otherwise, that otherwise we're not sovereign and it's a free-for-all and it's chaos. Um, but do I think that, here's my personal opinion. I think that there's room enough for whoever wants to really come into this, into this country, as long as they are willing to pay taxes, you know, pay taxes on their labor. And hopefully they will be on sort of our side with, Hey, let's have lower taxes. Uh, and let's not tax everything. Right. Let's, you know, whatever. But it's like, I, I don't know who said it, but they were like, I think it was one of the border agents were saying, the federal government doesn't need to send border agents. They need to send judges. Judges so that they can hear all of these cases and get these people processed. And whether processed and naturalized over an extended period of time or sent back. But we've got a crisis and we can say, well, these people have... No, they don't have a right to come into this country but they have every reason to. That's the difference. And that's where I think a lot of people get confused. I think there's a little bit more than that. Um, they're, they're being told, if you come here, you're going to get a free phone. You're going to get that. Your kids will be educated. You'll, you'll get the housing. You'll get the, the, the medical care. That's, that's where we have to... It's more than saying you just need to pay your taxes you know, we first of all, we have to keep in mind that when you have an influx of people, wages will go down. So you have to keep it kind of organized in that. All right. So how many people do we want to bring into this country? And there is a line. You have to stand in line. Sorry, but that's the rules. Now, if you are being attacked, OK, um, you know, there are other countries in North America, in South America you know, go to Venezuela. Isn't it supposed to be a, a socialist paradise? They have free health care, do they not? Go to Venezuela, go to Brazil, go to Argentina, go to Peru. You know, we're not the only country. Go to Canada. Why do you have to come to the United States? And I might add, quit incentivizing them to come here. That's number one. Number two, instead of sending judges, I'm going to disagree with you here. I think there's a little bit more to it than that. If it's indeed an asylum case, the fact that they're in Mexico now means that they really can't, you know, asylum means you need to get away from the country where you're having a problem. Asylum doesn't mean that you can travel through Mexico and then come here. Now, if you, you know, like back when we had the Berlin Wall, and let's say you were in Bucharest or East Berlin or, or Prague, and, and you, you know, fled into the U.S. Embassy, Okay, that's that's or or the Cubans because the Cubans, that's a bona fide case where, you know, they can't cross the border. Cuba's an island, so they they make it to the United States. Okay, you're here. That's an asylum case that that I will agree with. But if you travel through Mexico, you thro travel through Guatemala, 
You're from El Salvador to get here. You know, you really need to go stay in Honduras or go go live in uh, Puerto. No, was it? Uh, go to Panama. Go to uh, was it um, Costa Rica? So wh- why are we? Why would we have to send so many judges down to the border to process them? You know, I mean, I can understand some, but but not to the not. Don't send an army of judges down there. Don't send an army to process migrants. Send an army to stop them from entering the country. Just like the people stood in front of the British soldiers to prevent them from crossing, you know, and capturing the uh, the stores, uh, the 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 cash, the military stores. You know, stand in defiance. That's what our army needs to do. That's what our National Guard needs to do. That's what our Border Patrol needs to do. Don't open the gates for them and change the baby's diapers and process, you know, 100,000. We had, what, 4 million last year? Or not last year. Since Biden took over, we had somewhere around 4 to 5 million people come into this country. Our Border Patrol, our border agents are so busy processing that... You know, the the cartels are sending them through, the you know, crossing, helping them cross the Rio Grande and sneaking into this country. Well, maybe it would, might be best to just have the CIA overthrow some of these poor governments and help establish a more democratic and capitalistic form of government and economy in these Latin American states. Maybe that'll maybe that'll help. Um, well, didn't Ann, didn't Ann Coulter said you know we need to. Uh, Invade their countries, kill their leaders, and convert the people to Christianity. Did she say that? Yep. But I think she said it, you know, I think it was kind of a joke. But, you know, look. I think if, they're if already you, converted to Christianity. I'm, and, I, and I know I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to wrinkle some feathers here. I'm going to probably piss off some people when I say this. Well, let this be the last thing we say because the show's coming to an end. All right. You know, the people who are fleeing from this country— I hate to say it, they need to fix their own country. If you're if your leader, you know, if let's say let's say you have a family, okay? If your father is abusive, you need to do something about it. I hate to say it, but you need to do something about it. Um, the wives need to, you know, wives need to kick him out. I know people say, "Oh, it's not that easy." I, I know that. You know that. I, I don't know what it's like to be in an abusive relationship, whether where your husband comes home drunk and beats on you and beats on the kids. I don't know, but what I do know is is that if you don't do something, he's going to keep doing it. And you know these governments in Central America and in um, South America who are abusive, you know, like what's going on in Venezuela, the people of the Venezuelans. I love them, but they need to fight. They need to overthrow their government. They need to be the ones to overthrow their government. Don't just sit there. Do what the Sons of Liberty would do. Well, Get rid of them. Here's, I don't care how. What happens, what happens when your little brother sides with your dad or your big brother sides with your dad? That's what, you know, that's what happens. It's not, you, like, it's not like these Latin American states or, or even our country uh, and during the revolution, everybody was on board. But that's not an excuse to keep the status quo. I'm not saying that, but it makes it way more difficult. And we live in a very different time where we're we're talking muskets and cannon. We're talking freaking 
you know, machine guns and 50 cows, different I, stuff I, like I, that. I, I know it's difficult. Are, we, and people we, who are already disarmed, who have already made the mistake of being disarmed. Okay, well, here's the thing. We fought an eight-year war to free ourselves from Britain, and then we fought them again in 1812 to finally get, to finally, finally get them to respect our sovereignty. Okay, eight years of war. Yeah. That's a long time. That is a long time. And now, you and I discussed the other night, how many times has that worked out? What's once. that? A revolution? Yeah. Once. Us. Well, no, I mean, we, I, if you're talking about long lasting, okay, yeah, I can, I can kind of see that. But yeah, that's what I'm saying. But that's, because, but that's because we created a stable government. That's because we already had 150 years of experience running ourselves. Well, okay, but you know the when you had the revolutions in France and Spain and Russia, their experience was far longer than 150 years. Yeah. So, but so but what they did was who, you had you had one abusive government against, replaced by another abusive government. Who ran up against the French? What do you mean? Who ran up against the French? That was an uprising of 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 the impoverished people. Right, and then they became run by the the intellectuals, the intelligentsia, right. who right, sold but, them down the river. Right, but the, but you know the the French the same French thing with the did Russians. that to themselves. Same thing with the, the French. Did, the thing with with our country, I think we had like a ninety percent literacy rate when we started running, you know, the American Revolution. I I don't know, I don't think it was that high. It was very high because everybody read the Bible. Well, you know, I mean, you may be right. I, I don't I don't know what the literacy rate. That's not something that I. That I studied, but but what I will say is is that what made America and you know there've been a let's lot just of say, let's just have, say our literacy rate rivals Cuba's. Okay, but literalist <laughs> literacy rate is not going to guarantee that that's going to create a good revolution because some of the worst people in the world were intellectuals. I, no, I'm saying literacy rate doesn't mean just because you can read doesn't make you an intellectual. It just makes no, you no, no, capable. no. I'm saying just because you're an intellectual doesn't mean that you're going to create something good. That's what I just said about the French and the Russians. What I'm, what I'm saying is, is that you know, what made the American Revolution different that so many people have written when they compared like the American Revolution against the French Revolution was that the American Revolutions believed in individual rights, whereas the French Revolution, the Russian Revolution was a collective right where the people answered to the government. The people served the government, whereas... What made the American Revolution work is the fact that it was a good revolution in that it wasn't an oppressive government. You had individual rights. Not so with the French. I mean, God, you know, you, you heard about the, the terror that took place. The French were more individualistic than we were. The Russians no, were not. No, 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 no. They, their revolution was collective. They didn't believe in individual rights. What about the rights of man? Written by um, who, Thomas, Thomas Paine? Paine. Yeah. Yeah, he was. Uh, he, yeah, hold on. Thomas Paine was imprisoned. Monroe had to go rescue him. James Monroe had to go rescue him. They went after. Uh, they went after a lot of people. Uh, they went after uh, what's his name? Uh, 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 God Lafayette. Right. So they went. No, theirs was if you if you showed any inkling of of uh, being against the government, then you were executed. So many people who even supported the French Revolution were but, executed. Right, and and that's why I say that they they turned against their own movement because they were about individual rights. They were they hated the monarchy. They hated the government. 
And that's the problem. That's that's always the promise is like the Russians, the like Lenin and those guys and, and, and Trotsky, like they were all about, you know, you'll have more rights and you'll have, you know, we'll take care of you and you'll be your own person. But we're going to when they actually won their revolution, they took everything away from her. Like they're all about broken promises. Ours was about fulfilled promises at least in a percentage or a per capita basis, way more than those other revolutions. Eventually, we we sort of got it right. Well, there was there was a there was a group, but uh, even that uh, took a long time. The, the, I think they were called the the Sans uh, Culottes, the without pants. I think I think that's what it, it translates the Sans Culottes. Um, but they would be equivalent today to like you know I would say my guess would be that they're equivalent to like some of the Antifa folks. Uh, they were the uh, they were the proletariat, and you know they they were a pretty powerful group during the French Revolution. You know everybody in the French Revolution were were seeking power for themselves. You know the again this is where the whole individual liberty comes in. This is where you know the states came in. Where the states the you know the states you know France was a nationalized centralized power whereas the united states you had 13 different countries who had a a a, 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 a general government it was called a general government that only had certain enumerated powers they could only do certain things now it wasn't until the civil war where the government really expanded its powers and by then you know we had already had established the country as a whole at that time but that's the difference between what happened in the um and, and plus plus you know there were other factors many of the loyalists who fought for the crown during the revolutionary war fled most i would say about i want to say according to um the, the, there was a census in 1790 um about 90 98% of the People were all Protestant who believed in the Protestant way of, of uh, you know, serving God and uh, high ethical standards when it comes to work, when it comes to family, when it comes to everything. Um, you know, you didn't, you didn't work on Sunday, and they enforced it. You know, you go to church on Sunday, and um, so, you know, so you didn't have... Diversity was not a thing in those days. You were either a congregationalist or you were going to be an Anglican, and then you know there were some others that weren't that far different. You know, there, you know, you, you, uh, most many of the religions uh, were, were Calvinist. Well, you mentioned the Civil War, and and it's sad. It what's sad is that the best part of our episode is at the at the end because uh, you and I are going back and forth. But the Civil War like caused the expansion of of the federal government because people, particularly the South, preferred slavery over the principle the principle of freedom, and that's that's the thing. And that's right back where we are in this conversation is people are looking at the wrong thing and not looking at the principle. What is the principle behind um, why these arguments are made? The principle is taxation without representation is wrong. We have to be represented. It's not about guns. It's about self-defense. Your right to self to defend yourself and your family, life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness, and all these other things, uh, what these politicians are doing, 
Why are they doing it? Is it about their ideology? Is it about their party party politics? Typically, yes. Why are we in favor of certain things? Are we in favor of it because it, it fits with our ideology and our t-shirts or whatever? You know, here it is, you know, liberty. Liberty is, that should be the, the primary principle. Um, it shouldn't be, what's your party? You know, who's your favorite? Are you a Trump fan? You know, are you going to do everything for Trump or is it going to be everything is anti-Trump? It's like, don't make it like that. It's bad enough that it's blue and red. Don't make it everything is like about one person. And and that's where we gravitate. We gravitate to ideologies or these uh, cult of personalities. It's a dangerous game that we're all playing. And we have to stick to our principles and then do something about people and, and kick people out of office whenever they go against what they've promised, like the French did, like the Russians did. You know, even even like what what we've done, you know, and 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 numerous times. So we we principles. I think that's what I think this is what it it this conversation more or less boils down to is all these things are happening in this country that are counter to the Constitution because politicians primarily have lost. Like people want their politicians, their representatives, their senators, their presidents to represent them based on the principles set forth in the Constitution, principles set forth in our primary documents, and they're not doing it. And we, are, we have our hands tied because they're in power. And like you've been saying, the best thing to do is to not comply. You and I, we did our best to not comply on a lot of things. The vaccine, the masks, you know, speeding, not wearing the seat belts, different stuff like that. But speeding, yeah, 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 yeah that's that's true. Hey, I always I drive the speed limit. I was gonna say you and I got fast cars, so yeah, yeah. Anyways, all right, man. Well, I think this has been a fun conversation. It has gone longer than I thought it would, even though we've not covered a number of things. But that's what happens when you compile uh, your your issues that you've got uh, with the government. Well, that you know, we'll just use uh, we'll use the rest of this uh, the next time another guest cancels on us. I'm sure it's bound to happen. So you know, we're living in a society. Can you believe it? We went this whole episode, and I don't think we made one Seinfeld reference except for that one. All right, dude. Well, it was great talking to you. Um, we're gonna have a really good conversation. Um, I'm gonna be talking about the Russia Ukraine war. Uh, with the guy who's been over in Moscow for 25 years is reported like his book overreach fantastic. I can't recommend it enough, but hopefully he doesn't cancel. He last time I checked, he was out in Italy. So who knows where he is uh, right now, but anyways, you, you yeah. know, the, the guy that we're, uh, that was, that we were supposed to have today, I went through my library and I found all the, all the, all his books that he wrote and, and I got him sitting over there. How many do but, you yeah, have? I had, a, I had several books that I was going to, uh, you know, you know, blow. What's that saying about blowing wind or smoke up his ass? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, I uh, I emailed him back, haven't heard back, and I said, you know, we're hoping to have you on um, next season uh, on a for a different topic. We'll see if that happens. Yeah, you let him know. I spent hours trying to dig up all his books, so. 
All right, man. Well, feel free to uh, jump on the email as well because you owe Alan Gaff an email response. And if you want to follow up with another email, go ahead and let that guy know. Anyways, ladies and gentlemen, that's it for the show. Uh, We've gone on. My gosh, we've gone on for quite some time. We apologize. See you later.